lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi, it's time for another edition of Serie A Sit Down. World Football Index is a podcast of Calcio, told like it is, and always at the highest level. Uh, I'm Frank Cravello. Glad you're uh, back along with us again. And with me is co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing on this uh, Nations League break? Nations League break. Ah, I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw out a very potentially unpopular opinion. I'm warming up to this Nations League thing. I am too. I'm actually liking it. Uh, the guys, he's more competitive in the games. Uh, so uh, I'm liking it. I'm liking how this, you have to see how the other teams are doing and you have to get results, you know, and try to move on. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, in, in particular, uh, we're recording on Sunday. France, you know, kind of a must-win situation against the Netherlands team that gave them all they could handle and France winning 2-1. So, you know, going on top of, their group with Germany and the Netherlands on four points. How about that? I mean, and, and you, the Nations League is the is the league that gives you a group of teams of that kind of pedigree too. I mean, France, Germany, Netherlands, all having to fight it out. And the crazy thing is, is one of those teams is going to drop down to Zone B. You don't know when this is all said and done. Yeah, everyone figures it's going to be Netherlands, but you never know. I mean, we saw Netherlands gave France all they could handle today. So, yep, yep, indeed. So. uh uh, so I'm I'm quite warming up to this, and then you got you know England uh, losing at home against Spain. Um, you know certainly some interesting results that are coming up all along, and uh, uh, you know Switzerland beating Iceland six nil. Um, and uh, we'll have to uh, do some digging here, Richard, as we go through this, because um, uh, you know some Serie A players uh, got on the score sheet for their countries. Um, you know, so we'll uh, we'll try to tackle that a little bit, but. With Serie off this weekend, uh, you know, we don't, we don't stop. We don't take a break. So we will cover the Azzurri. We will recap uh, what happened in Bologna in that 1-1 draw against Poland. And we'll get you ready for the game against Portugal, uh, which will take place on Monday the 10th. Uh, and then after that, uh, Richard and I are going to uh, offer our first impressions. What we're going to do is just give each other teams and uh, give our reaction first impression and we're doing this without doing any research and doing any any study. These are knee-jerk reactions. These are our first thoughts. So we don't need to study like most of these people, do we, Richard? No, no. We just we make ourselves look like bullshit without trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we fake it as good as anybody. So, um, and uh, we look ahead to. Uh, we'll finish up by looking ahead to match week four. Some interesting matches uh, coming up next weekend. Um, should make for a very interesting uh, culture consultant fearless five later on in the week. So, but uh, let's uh, begin the uh, business at hand. UEFA Nations League uh, at uh, the Dallara in Bologna, Italy took on Poland. It would be Roberto Mancini's uh, first competitive international match in charge of the Azzurri. Uh, we talked a lot about the team that the squad that he assembled. Uh, for these two games in in our last uh, podcast and uh, the lineup that he went with Richard, he went with the four three three. Yeah, yeah. And I'm an, and I'll, I, okay. So here's here's the lineup, and I'm going to I, I want to know what your opinions were. Not even to, without the game. Don't don't without what happened in the game. Just your an hour before kickoff. This was the lineup: Donnarumma in goal, uh, Zappacosta four man defense of Zappacosta, Bonucci. Uh, Chiellini and Biraghi, uh, a midfield of uh, Gagliardini, uh, Giorgino, and Pellegrini with a three-man attack of Vanadeschi, Balotelli, and Lorenzo Insigne. When you saw that lineup, what were your thoughts? Uh, it was a bit of a mixed reaction. Um, I love seeing Donnarumma in net. 
uh, obviously Chiellini and Bonucci were going to be back there, but you know, rolling the dice with uh, Biragi and more importantly Zapacosta, who doesn't hasn't get much pitch time with Chelsea. So I was like, okay. Uh, same thing in the midfield. Jorginho obviously is stalwart, but then you got Gagliardini and Pellegrini who do, haven't had much pitch time as well for their teams. So I was curious. I'm like, okay, what's what's with that? Uh, and then I love the, the top three of Bernadeschi, Insigne, led by Balotelli because Balotelli has had the last couple of years has been really good over at Nice. Um, so I was curious to see how he would be, how he would do in his return to the the Azzurri. So um, that, was, that was a mixed reaction overall. Yeah, I, you know, when I saw this lineup, I I when Balotelli got picked for this team, I expected to him to be the starting uh, center forward in the first game here um, under Mancini. You know, and we talked about this, and I hit on this last week in the podcast. If you know, if there's a manager who's ever been able to get the most out of Balotelli, it's been Mancini. Wherever Mancini has gone, Balotelli has done well. You know, exactly, a little bit exactly. of yeah, a little bit of time at Inter. You know, Balotelli played reasonably well when he was given the opportunity at Manchester City. Um, you know, and the only man, the only other manager you can probably say that about are the managers at Nice, Lucien Favre, uh, and now Patrick Vieira. So. Um, you know, and I think to an extent, Cesare Prandelli got a little bit out of him, in, uh, you know, especially in 2012 when Italy made the run all the way to the finals of the uh, uh, European Championships. So, you know, so you have a manager that knows how to push the buttons of Balotelli and get him to perform. Um, you know, I, you know, looked at this lineup and uh, I was happy for Biragi. I thought he deserved the start on the left hand side. I was curious about, uh, you know, Bonucci and Chiellini together. I think that. Uh, you know, Mancini wanted to go with some kind of continuity in the center of his defense. Um, considering where Romagnoli might be more comfortable as a left-sided uh, central defender, you know, given that he performs better on his left foot and so forth, um, it, it probably would have been a little awkward, at least from a possession standpoint, with Romagnoli and Chiellini together uh, in the middle of that defense, which is what I think many were were thinking was going to happen. Um so, uh, you know, not, not too bad there. Uh, when I saw the three man midfield, it was obvious Jorginho was going to play this Jorginho role. Um, and, um, Mancini put what perceives to be, you know, workers, uh, to each side of him in Gagliardini and, and Pellegrini, where the, the, the creative stuff in the, in the higher areas were going to come from Insigne and Benedeschi, right. you know, with hopes that Palotelli was going to do some sort of finishing. So that's, that's what we're looking at. Certainly, you know, certainly had me interested. Um, you know, when you look at how Poland came out, uh, Fabianski and goal who, you know, if not for his performances for West Ham United, West Ham United would, you know, would probably be on 20 goals conceded here in these first four games. Have you seen any of West Ham games in the Premier League? Uh, I've always seen the results. I haven't watched. I've been fortunate not to watch their game. So uh, <laughs> I've heard. I've, I've I've heard grumblings from their fans and how they are yeah. disappointed. So yeah, I mean, I just the occasional the occasional stumbling across it and seeing that they're just getting, you know, conceding goal after goal after goal. And you know, Fabianski is also making. You know, I think in the four 0 loss to Liverpool, they lost four 0 and Fabianski made another six saves on top of it. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so just to kind of give you an idea, but their back four was. Uh, they went with a 4-4-1-1. It was uh, Berzinski of Sampdoria and some familiarity with players who have some Serie A experience, Kamal Glick as well, um, and Benaric partnering Glick. And then you had Rika um, on the left-hand side. Midfield was Blasikovsky, uh, Krakowiak, and uh, Klick. Um, and then uh, on the left, uh, Kurzawa, 
where Zielinski was playing in front of them with Lewandowski being in the nine role. So yeah. um, no, uh, no Milik uh, in the starting lineup. Did that surprise you? It did. Uh, they decided to load the midfield, I guess, figuring that um, Italy would, you know, boss the possession. So maybe they wanted to counteract that and get more more bodies on the on the ball. That's my only thinking because I, I would have put uh, Milik right up next to Lewandowski with uh, Zelensky behind him at some at some some sort. Um, so I was surprised there, and I was also surprised to see how advanced the role uh, Zelensky was playing. But uh, we saw some good stuff from him. Yep. Um- you know, when you take a look at how this game went, uh, it seemed as if Poland's game plan was to absorb the pressure and let Italy try to establish, you know, some sort of possession. You know, Poland never really got on the front foot. They were comfortable with letting Italy have the ball. Um, and that seemed to be from the off. And what they would try to do is catch them on the counterattack, press them in areas where they thought they could press them, uh, and then, uh, you know, find find their chances and find their opportunities there. I mean – you really only have to look at the at the at, at the possession stats for that to tell you why. I mean, Italy had 59% possession uh, to Poland's 41. Um, you know, the total attempts on goal, Italy having 13 um, to, to Poland's 10. So, you know, Poland creating some things off of the counterattack, clearly, you know, with just as much effect as Italy's possession. Again, you know, we talked about Milan having possession with little purpose against Napoli a few weeks ago. Richard, Italy had possession against Poland and just throughout this game, and especially in the first half, really no purpose. Yeah, the first half, really, as for all the possession they have and, and the lack of creativity they had, uh, Poland was the one that seemed like on the front foot. Uh, they were, like you said, they were absorbing the pressure, uh, just waiting, and then took their chances and made their runs every now and then. And when they made their runs up, it was convincing runs. It wasn't like Italy where they weren't sure what they were going to do. Uh, you didn't have uh, haps and mistakes like uh, Italy were doing. Bernadeschi was having a, having a bad game. Jorginho was as well in the first half. Um, but Poland did well when they had their opportunities. And, and uh, we saw Donnarumma have to make some big saves early on. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, and, and Donnarumma would get called out uh, early on from on a save from, uh, from uh, Zielinski. Relative point-blank range, but a great save there by Donnarumma. 10 out of 10 um, on the save, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, but uh, w- one of the problems in Italy's efforts to take possession um, and to keep possession was that, okay, Jorginho's in the Jorginho role, and this is what I got awfully critical of in the first half. Um, I thought, you know, the, the, the flaw here with this system was that when you look at the characteristics of Lorenzo Pellegrini and Roberto Gagliardini, Richard, which one of these guys is supposed to provide that mobility in the midfield? <laughs> that is the million dollar question, right? Um, we've seen glimpses from both of these players. Gagliardini has shown more of it than, than, uh, Pellegrini, but, um, it looked like both these players are hesitant in this game to really try to establish any kind of creativity. They're, they're more concerned with their hard work in the midfield without, and then not trying, you know, leaving it to Insigne, like you were saying, and Bernadeschi. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would have, I would have put my money on Gagliardini as being the creative guy. Uh, just seeing what he had done, in, he's done with uh, Inter since he's joined them, but it wasn't there, and neither was Pellegrini. So it left me scratching my head, and I know Jorginho was, you know, getting frustrated because you know the guys who he's expecting to be creative are not doing their job. So um, I thought that Gagliardini and Pellegrini were our two worst players. Ooh, that's that's a tough call. They're they weren't on the score sheet at all. I mean, uh, uh, their their names weren't called at all during the game. Um, 
I was pretty upset in the first half with Jorginho's play, to be honest. Um, well, I mean, let me let me jump in and cut you off there. I sure. mean, excuse excuse me, but I think that Jorginho, and I said this on Twitter, Jorginho can't Jorginho if Pellegrini and Gallerini are just going to stand next to him, you know? Yeah, um, no. Or, you know, so, and then when they ran, it was north-south. It was like, and I made these comments. These were the things I was saying on Twitter. These guys are on railroad tracks. There's no mobility. Nobody done balancing. And I was like, through, midway through the first half, I said, this game is screaming for a player like Giacomo Bonaventura to come on. Um, you know, and try to, you know, try to direct some things and try to, you know, run a little bit higher where he can create a little bit of space and give Jorginho a little bit more room to operate. It just felt like to me, Pellegrini and Gagliardini didn't know where to go in this system. And and then they weren't even called up at all. I mean, you didn't even hear their names during the, the first, most, oh, the whole game, really. Um, the, the ones that were names you did hear, like Jorginho or Bernadeschi, who were making mistakes, at least they had the ball, right? At least they were in in the play. Like Pellegrini and Gagliardini just were like nowhere to be seen. And I think part of the problem for Jorginho not only was about Pellegrini and Gagliardini being so poor, uh, it was the having Banucci back there so close to Jorginho that they're both kind of like similar players in the fact that they like to pass the ball and spread spread it out and stuff. They were kind of negating each other, and uh, Jorginho really couldn't do what he had to do because Banucci was in in his way and. Um, that also kind of stunted the creativity and, and outlets to possibly a Pellegrini or, or a Gagliardini or whoever they're trying to get it to. And Michael Lisi actually made the comment, and he and I were going back and forth on Twitter, and he said that, you know, Zielinski had an awful lot to do with why Jorginho was struggling so much. But I, I you know, I, I blew back at him a little bit, and I said, I, I get where you're coming from. And, yes, that's absolutely true. But I think Zielinski's job was easy because of, how Pellegrini and Gagliardini were playing. There wasn't, there wasn't that mobility to unbalance things. And now play becomes a little bit more predictable when Jorginho's on the ball. So, um, you know, so from my, you know, from my perspective, I think that that's why Zielinski looked so good in this game, especially, you know, especially in those situations when Poland didn't have the ball. And to be fair, Zielinski is a good player. I mean, we, yeah. we get to see it firsthand right there. Uh, Italy did too. I mean, he's a, he's such a talented player, and uh, he's capable of games like this. And uh, you know, this is why Napoli fans love him so much, and why the Polish player Polish fans love him because uh, he is he is he's a, he's a talented talented player. And, and they made mention on the on the telecast how they're they're calling him now, or some guys, some of the Polish fa- fans are calling him the next Kevin De Bruyne, uh, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, yeah. It, Zielinski, um his job was definitely made easier by Pellegrini and uh, Gagliardini, no doubt. Yeah, you know, a big shoes to fill there for you know to to be someone like Kel, uh, Kevin De Bruyne. So um, that issue with the midfield would eventually rear its ugly head, and in the 40th minute, they would get punished. Jorginho would get dispossessed. The ball would find its way to Robert Lewandowski uh, in the uh, on the left side of the penalty area, and this would happen. It's a beautiful setup and a lovely finish. Peter Zielinski. Now that man, Peter Zielinski, uh, and, and again beating Gianluigi Donnarumma, Richard. Um, not an easy finish, and he took it well. <laughs> yeah, the whole play really, uh, Lewandowski did well to to get wide and then head up, and then he seen Zielinski with making the, the run. He's been a trailer in his run, and then the pass was perfect to him. And Zielinski, I mean, it was a hard pass to, to corral, and... He did well technically, and there's nothing Donnarumma could have done about that. It was a beautiful, beautiful play from you know from the pass to the to the cool finish by Zelensky. Yep, indeed, and uh, 
you know, Poland go ahead by a goal to nil. Um, certainly they had the more dangerous chances in the first half. I can't think of a, I don't think there was a, a I don't think Fabianski was threatened at all in the first half, was he? Um, well, Bernadeschi had a, a good opportunity where he should have finished. Um, it was a turnover where I think Jorginho or someone passed it to him. Um, and he's right there in front of the goal. One touches it, just misses it past the post. That's about as close as they got in the first half. Okay. Um, and that's, and that's just about it. But other than that, you know, Poland looked pretty comfortable in their yeah, setup. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they were hardly bothered. Uh, Mario Bellatelli had issues in this game. And I think a lot of that was because he wasn't getting the service. Um, I think also, be, you know, I think that he certainly had some sort of impact because, uh, Poland certainly took it to him from a physicality standpoint. They fouled him at every opportunity. Um, you know, and they made sure that he didn't get going. Uh, which I think was a clear tactic. Click got a yellow card over it. I don't think it was a foul on for a foul on Bellotelli though. I, I want to say he got his yellow for fouling someone else. Um, and then uh, Blazikowski uh, also received a yellow card, which will be you know, which is very important to note because it will uh, have something to do with the incident in the second half. I mean, so at halftime. You know, here are, here are the problems that I had, Richard, and I'll and I'll, I'll 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 turn you loose, and you can tell me what problems you think we had. I I thought the best outfield player for me or for Italy was uh, Cristiano Biraghi. Um getting forward, crossing the ball. He was the one guy that I thought out of everybody was actually trying to get something going, um, and at least doing things cleanly. Um, I thought Bernardeschi technically was was rather poor. Um, I think that Insigne, you know, Italy Insigne is just a lot different than Napoli Insigne, and we're learning this the hard way. Um, and I'll, you can react to that if you want. Um, but uh, I thought Biragi was the best outfield player for Italy. I thought Donnarumma was obviously good because he had to make a couple of key saves. But after that, you look at this Italy side and you look at Roberto Mancini, and, I, you know, you just want to say, I'm not impressed, man. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Your thoughts on uh, – would you agree with Biragi, Donnarumma? Who is the best player? I mean, as far as best outfield player, because a lot of people came back, blew back at me and said Donnarumma is the best player in that first half. And I, fine, he was. He made a couple good saves, I guess. But we want to look at outfield players. I couldn't think that anyone was really better than Biragi in that first yeah, half. Yeah, for, for me, uh, Biragi was definitely the best player for, for Italy. And then you could look at Chiellini with defensively what he was doing. And then Donnarumma, obviously, for making – Two, two, three big saves. It could have been three, four, nothing in the first half. Um, other than that, I mean, like you said, Insigne, yeah, with the national team, he's just not the same player. And I don't know if he just wasn't into the game yet or what, um, or maybe just the lineup or the passes he was getting. I mean, Baraki was doing well, so I don't know what, what Insigne was trying to do. Um, Bernadeschi, he wasn't getting any help. Bernadeschi was poor. Technically, he was poor. His shots were wide. Um, he was being a little selfish, but it also didn't help him that Zapacosta did absolutely nothing in the first half. Uh, there no. was no overlapping runs by him. Um, Jorginho, like you, we were talking about him, uh, Gagliardini and Pellegrini were all struggling. Uh, and then Balotelli, you, you rarely heard his names other than times there was a little bit of foul in the box and he, he didn't do much. So, um, yeah, for me, um, Baragi is definitely, you know, the best, the best, uh, outfielder there. And then Chiellini did pretty well, I thought, as far as defenders go. Um, and obviously Donnarumma, so. Yep. Well, Mancini must have been listening to me, uh, you know, throughout the course of the game or must have must have read my tweets because they said this game was screaming for Giacomo Bonaventura, and what did he do? 
well, at the start of the second, to start the second half, Bonaventura comes on for Pellegrini. So that started to unlock Poland a little bit, Richard. Yeah, um, it, it finally seemed like they were playing with a purpose. Uh, they had that creative player in the in the lineup now, Bonaventura, and really the whole team started playing a lot better. Um, Zapacosta started making runs in the forward. Um, Insigne was still being doing, doing the same things, but Bonaventura definitely gave a spark to the team, and they looked like they had a little bit more incentive. Balotelli was still not running as much. We, we would find out why later, but... Um, certainly the insertion of, of Bonaventura was a, a lightning rod to start of the good things, I, sh- I would say, for the Azuri in the second half. Balotelli got hurt, didn't he? Yeah, he pulled his right hand. He looked like at first I, it just seemed like he wasn't trying because he wasn't getting service. But then as the, as the minutes kept going on, he kept seeing him grabbing his right hammy. And then eventually he would just uh, limp off. And uh, they, they confirmed it, I think, as soon as he came out when um, Belotti came in that uh, it was his hamstring. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do some player ratings here right after the game. And then so that's when Belotti came on for him. And then they made the, took the decision to bring on Chiesa, but they brought him on for, that's the other player that I think we were screaming for at halftime. Uh, but they brought him on for Insignia. They didn't bring him on for Bernardeschi. But I think, you know, I would have preferred him coming on for Bernardeschi, given how he was performing. But uh, you also take Insigne's performance into consideration. You know, really flip a coin over who Chiesa was going to go in for, right? Yeah, and I guess the way Mancini was looking at it was that Bernadeschi was at least taking attempts on goal. Uh, he had he had a, another close one in the second half. Um, so maybe Mancini thought, you know, hey, at least he's putting shots on goal. Insigne is really not doing that. He's he's yes, he's looking for passes and whatnot, but um, Bernadeschi has been more of a threat offensively. So maybe just keep him in there and hopefully he'll nail one in. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and. Uh, you know, Chiesa had a big influence on this game from the time he was brought on as a substitute, did a lot of running, uh, work rate was very good, and, um, you know, I dare say that Chiesa was the best player for Italy in this game, even given the limited time, especially considering the limited time he was given, um, but, uh, you know, hard to argue uh, Federico Chiesa's contribution, he was, he was Italy's best player. Impact sub. I mean, you knew you know what kind of player we all know what kind of player he is, and he's an out and out winger. Um, but he he was making the runs that no one else was making. I mean, he he would go out to defenders. He would leave his position, cut across. He was making it difficult for the Polish defenders to keep track of, and and his persistence, his hard work led to good things for the Azuri. I'm sure, as you'll mention here in a second. Yep, I'm going to mention it. Great segue, by the way, Richard. Well done. <laughs> so learn from you. <laughs> You're well. You're. I'm. I'm poisoning your mind then because I'm not very good at set plays. But it, it, anyway, he uh, he makes the run into the penalty. He does make a run into the penalty area. Um, you know, with the characteristics that you actually described, uh, and he is brought down from behind by uh, Blaszczykowski for a penalty. That should have been a second yellow. In Poland, we're very very lucky uh, that they weren't down to ten men. Yeah, that should have been a second yellow. That would have been put them down to ten men, and who knows what would have happened then. I mean, we the first half Italy was doing nothing with the possession and having a guy up. Maybe they would do something. I would think so, just because how they were playing in the second half. But yeah, that's a bad decision by the referee. He was being too lenient on that one. Indeed, indeed. And uh, up steps uh, Jorginho, and he calmly does this. Two deep breaths from Jorginho. And maybe a tentative step on the road to redemption. 
the man that Gian Piero Ventura refused to fit into his team until the very last minute uh, scores for the Azzurri. Um, this game ends 1-1. Um, let's start with Mancini here, Richard. Uh, first impressions in Mancini's first competitive game. Well, I wasn't imp- well. The lineup that he came out with, I thought was a curious one. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't impressed with the lineup, but I was curious to see, you know, with all these faces, maybe he would be able to push certain buttons like Balotelli, Pellegrini, Gagliardini, guys who haven't seen much pitch time. Also, like Zapacosta, um, we saw how th- that turned out. But I do like his second, his halftime adjustments. Um, the team responded to whatever he might, he said it in in the locker room, and they looked a much better team. Possession-wise, it was the same. They're, they're Boston possession, but they had intent in the second half, uh, bringing down Chiesa, uh, bringing on Bellotti. Bellotti played really well, I thought. Um, Bonaventura added spark on there. So uh, the adjustments overall, Mancini, uh, it looks it gives me optimism. Um, I didn't have this kind of optimism uh, towards the end of Ventura's reign, and and um, um, there's good things around for for the Azzurri. Uh, lots of good young talent there, and it seems that maybe Mancini will figure out a way to get them playing, uh, getting more goals for for sure, because that was a big problem before. I, I can go along with all of that. Um, I think that this is promising. Um, you know, you would have liked to have seen this Italy just, you know, okay, we just got done with the World Cup. Let's let's take this by, or we just got done with the World Cup that we weren't in. Let's take this by the scruff of the neck and let's let's show that things really are changing. Um, I think that there is still a, I guess there's a buy, there's still a buying in period going on here um, with with the players and with what Mancini expects and with what he is what he wants um, out of the national team. And um, I think because of that, uh, I think you see some of the uh, tentativeness. You see some guys maybe not sure of themselves. You don't have the right mix, so to speak, just yet. So um, that's something that's just going to come over time. Um, you know, does is Balotelli the striker, or is or, or is Immobile or Bilotti? You know, I think that's a that's an unanswered question. Um, do we have the right system? I think the right system is there. I think yes, you absolutely use Jorginho in that regista role. There has to be at least one midfielder that can provide some mobility that can help unbalance things and doesn't make the midfield look so predictable. Um, that's why Napoli was so successful uh, with Jorginho in that role because uh, Hamsik was in front of him and was always going up and supporting the attack. You never knew yeah, the problem yeah. with Pellegrini and Gagliardini. Who supports the attack? And neither of them looked like they were interested in doing that. I think maybe Gagliardini made one run in the box. Um, when Beragi had it wide in the first half. Other than that, I didn't, and, and it was, that was the one diagonal run from his position. Otherwise, everything was just north south with those guys. Um, you know, so I think that there's still, you know, trying to find the right pieces and trying to find the right bits of the challenge for Mancini. Um, I can live with the point as long as there's going to be some progress. I, I would have preferred a win here, uh, to start things off, especially a Poland team that was reeling after a very poor World Cup. Um, where there was much expected of them, but uh, but in the end you get a point, and and you hope that there's some there's some improvement here. Um, there's some improvement here coming up, um, you know. So so that's that's where it's at as far as the game itself. 
they've got to find a way to be a little bit more. You can't have 59% possession without trying to having a little bit of ruthlessness to you, you know? Um, for me to have that much possession and not create as many dangerous attempts, you know, that should be consistent with that possession is troubling. Um, you know, hopefully that's something that's just going to get better as it goes along. And some of that's a credit to how Poland played and how they organized. Yeah, so, and, and, and the perfect stat for that is the shots total. Cause now, now Italy did have more of these shots over Poland, but look at shots on target. Poland had the better of that. So Poland, you know, they seem comfortable with, you know, being letting Italy have all the possession. And then, you know, they took their chances well when they had them. Um, unlike uh, the Azuri, who they didn't look like they had a real game plan until the second half. Okay. Let's do player ratings for the Azuri, Richard. Um, I'll read the player. You give me the rating on a scale of uh, 1 to 10. 1 being uh, no business wearing an Azuri short. 10 being... 10, uh, 10 being uh, okay, very good. You know, I was going to say, you know, it should be on the stage at the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's There's, calm down. Let's calm down. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's start with the goalkeeper, Jen Luigi Donnarumma. What would you give him here? Oh, I, you know, I was actually, there's a couple of passes that I thought he could have done better with. I'm going to give him a nine because he made some outstanding saves in the game. The one goal that he did allow was nothing he could have done about it or anybody could have done about it. Um, overall, it was pretty good. It, like I said, there's some plays defensively when he got the pass the pass back to him, he made poor passes or he tried to break out a pass and he would miss it completely and go in, into the out of bounds. So that's the only thing I had negative about his game. So nine out of ten for me. Wow, are you generous. I'm giving him a seven. Okay. Um, the save, yes, for the saves, uh, but the distribution still, and that's yeah, that's something yeah. that we complain about as Milan fans. So, um, you know, so that kind of holds him back. Um, but uh, early on, made a couple of point blank saves to help uh, help keep Italy in this thing. Uh, but I, I go with a seven for uh, for Donnarumma. Uh, Zappacosta. Ooh, Zappacosta. I'm going to give him. Who man? Three the first half. <laughs> I'm gonna give him five overall. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Five uh, needs to shake off some rust. Is certainly not Matt Sharp at this point. Um, you know because he's hardly he he hasn't played at all for Chelsea. So uh, yeah, five's a good number for him. Okay, uh, Leonardo Bonucci. Uh, Bonucci was okay. Um, I'm gonna give him six and a half, seven. I'll go six and a half. Uh, you know, didn't they? Did I mean? Lewandowski had that. Lewandowski had that had that assist, but that's not from poor poor defensive no. positioning. That was from from uh, giving away possession. Correct. You I know, think, I think with him also, him and Georgina kind of blocked off each other, and I think that kind of drops her points as well because they are blo- they're getting each other's way basically when it comes to offensive side. So uh, he needs to, he d- definitely has some room to improve. Giorgio Chiellini. I'll give him an eight. I think he did very very well in this game. Uh, it looked like vintage Chiellini. You. Yep. Yeah, he was he was outstanding. Uh, Cristiano Biragi. Uh Biragi, I'm gonna give him a seven and a half. Uh, as a, as a left back, you would think uh, you want to see more crosses that are dangerous to you know get near scoring opportunities, and there, I love to see more of that. But overall, I think he was one of the like one of the best outfield players. Seven and a half for me. I'm gonna go eight. I, you know, I think he did his part when it comes to that, but he needs more people to cross to. There are not enough runs in the sure, box. Sure. Um, and that's where that that's where the problem was with me for Pellegrini and Gagliardini. One of those is, one of those guys has to attack the box and be a presence in those situations and maybe take on some risks. 
Um, you have some of the best defenders in the world playing behind you. Go ahead and take those chances. That's what I'd like to see. Um, I, yeah, so I, I'm going to give him an eight. I was I was that high on him. Um, all right, let's uh, let's beat up the week in the sad, and we'll start with Lorenzo. <laughs> Pelle- let's start, we'll start with Lorenzo Pellegrini. Oh man, um, I'm going to give him a three. Uh, you never heard his name at all. I mean, I should rank it lower. I'm being generous, I think. Uh, but three, he was he had no business being on the pitch. I, I think. Solano was uh, complaining about him again, and I retweeted it, saying, "I said, is, is this? Are you watching Italy? Or are you watching another Roma game?" <laughs> He's um, had no pitch time with Roma, so I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Three, he was poor. Uh, Jorginho. Jorginho it was much to be desired from me. Um, the goal helped, but I'm going to give him a five, and it, it not, it's not all his fault. It's people around him, uh, but it was a five. And, and Jorginho is one of our better players on the line in the team, but. Um, you know, his performance had much to be desired for sure. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'll give him a six just because of the goal. So, um, that's fair. fair. Yep. Uh, Gagliardini. Ooh, I'm gonna give him a four. I'll give him slightly more because he had, uh, I think he may have had the assist actually, or the assist on the attempted goal by Bernadeschi in the first half. And then he had that one diagonal run, like you said, but that's more than Pellegrini did. So, yep. A four, four is fine there. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne. <sighs> um, man, that's hard. Uh, I want to say five, but I, I may just be give him a six just to be nice because <laughs> I like him a lot. Um, but he didn't really do much for me, and he had uh, there's plenty he left on on the pitch that he could have done uh, to help them get in a position to score. And you know, uh, I, I don't think anything higher than a six would probably work for him. You got to set aside admiration when you're rating players, Richard. I know. Uh, Four and a half for me. Um, You know, he just, he was hardly decisive. Um, I think the shots and the chances that he took were just wild guesses. Um, He wasn't ruthless enough for me for that, you know, for the role that maybe we should expect from him and the player of his talent. Um, He he does not translate what he does at Napoli uh, to the national team. And uh, that's a big concern for me with him going forward. Um, Balotelli. Ooh, Balotelli, that's... Man, uh, I'm going to give him a five as well. I mean, uh, he didn't do much running. And he didn't make runs in the box for passes from, you know, Biragi or whomever or Insigne. Um, you rarely heard his name during a game to, until the second half, and then he had, eventually had to come off because of his hamstring. So I, I'm going to give him a five. Okay. Um, yeah, five. I mean, he, he tried to get involved possession, tried to be a point of reference, got fouled a few times there. Um which made you under, made you think that Poland were really worried about him, um, you know. So he at least presented a physical threat uh, to Poland, you know. But he didn't do anything with that. Um, I think he had one shot that went way over the bar in the first half, and that's all that he that's upper all deck, that he can upper deck. yeah that's <laughs> uh, that's all that he contributed, uh, you know. So a five and, and and a five might be being kind. Uh, Benedeski. Uh, Bernadeschi I thought was poor however I like what I saw there was glimpses in him that you know had he uh, maybe later on in the year you know more games with Juventus maybe he would be nail- scoring these goals um, I'm gonna give him six and a half actually um, okay. he did miss he, made, he did really bad in the first half missing a bunch of passes but he, I think when Zapacosta got involved he did better in the second half I'll give him a six I mean he wasn't particularly clean in this game no no um, you know and I, yeah. I've seen him work harder for Juventus too. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to create any controversy, but um, 
that was just another thing. I just think that there were some things that were there were some things from him that in this game that I thought were were a little casual for my taste. So um, okay, now the substitutes. Let's do those real quick. Giacomo Bonaventura. Uh he jacked it well. I thought uh, I'm gonna give him a seven. It's because he, he ignited a spark in, in the team uh, when he came on at, at halftime. Yep. Broke some things up in the midfield, tried to do something from a mobility standpoint, was was doing exactly what we were looking for in this system. Um, you know, so uh, seven is fine for me. Uh, uh, Andrea Bellotti. Uh, Bellotti, was, he was better at the nine than Balotelli uh, was. Um, I gave Balotelli a five. I'm going to give him uh, six and a half. Um, okay. He could have he could have done more shots there, but he was very mobile. He was uh, involved in the play at, at all times. So uh, six and a half for me. It's a six for me for him. Um, and then Chiesa. Uh, Chiesa, I'll give him a, I'll give him a seven and a half just because he came out, uh, you know came on a, a second half. Uh, if he had played the whole game, it probably would have been a lot higher. I like that seven and a half is good for me too. Um, all right, so Italy have a point. Poland have a point. Italy is the only team in the group that will play two games in the group. Uh, so a chance to really take advantage, but they have to travel to Portugal uh, on Monday. Uh, Portugal was last seen playing a friendly against Croatia and playing to a 1-1 draw. Uh, they fell behind on an Ivan Perisic goal um, and then equalized through Pepe on a ball from Pizzi. Um, I'll read you Portugal's lineup because this is a Ronaldo-less Portugal, uh, as he has said that he was sitting out these internationals to further get acclimated with uh, his surroundings in Turin, being at Juventus and all that other stuff. So um, Portugal brought out a 4-3-3. They played Rui Patricio in goal, uh, a back four of Joao Cancelo, Pepe, who I mentioned, Ruben Diaz, uh, and Mario Rui. Um, some Serie A influence there with Cancelo, Diaz, and Rui. Yes, yes. Um, midfield of Pizzi, Ruben Neves, and William Carvalho. And then uh, Bruma and Bernardo Silva flanked Andre Silva. Um, you know, and then the, uh, the players that did come on, Renato Sanchez came on, Sergio Oliveira came on, Jelson Martins, Ronnie Lopez, youngster from, uh, Monaco, uh, Gedson Fernandez came on for Andre Silva, Bruno Fernandez came on, uh, they had, I think, six substitutions in this friendly and used them all, uh, they left players like Cedric on the substitutes bench, um, Gonzalo, Gonzalo Guides, uh, did not play in this game. Uh, just to kind of give you some names uh, that could very well potentially feature here on Monday, Richard. But it looks like uh, it looks like the manager here, Fernando Santos, is going to go with a four-three-three or something similar. Um, let's talk about this Portuguese squad and what, when you look at in some of the names I ran off, what are you concerned about as an Italy supporter going into this game? Um, certainly the midfield. The midfield is going to be uh, something to keep an eye on because Bernardo, Bernardo Silva is a is a very very good player. He you know he doesn't get many minutes in Manchester City, but that's because they're loaded. Um, Carvalho is a very very good player. He's over at at Betis, I believe. Um, Daniel Bruma is also a good player. He's finally uh, maturing enough where he's accepted the talents that he has. He, he's a good, talented player. He just didn't know how to use it before, and I think he's finally getting to that point. And Neves is a really good player, and we saw Pizzi got an assist. So they, they got a really good midfield, and they have Renato Sanchez obviously on the bench and a couple other guys. Um, it's the midfield game, which is going to be the make or break for this game. Uh, both teams uh, have decent decent midfields, uh, depends which lineup you see from the Azuri. Uh, if you have the lineup that was used um, this past game, 
it's going to be tricky for them because the, the Portugal midfield is is very, very talented. They put up 19 shots or something crazy, um, and a lot of the creativity came from that midfield. Yeah, they uh, the possession was relatively equal, but uh, Portugal clearly had more chances in this game against Croatia, which, uh, you know, you, you expected a balance. Now, mind you, Croatia went out there with Marco Livaia um, as their striker, and um, Mario Mandzukic, I think, was on the uh, substitute's bench. And I'm just looking up real quick if he came on. Doesn't look like he came on. No, Mandzukic didn't even, isn't even with the team. Okay. Um, so that kind of gave you a little bit of an idea of, you know, what they had. So Marco Levaya plays for AK Athens. Uh, so, you know, not the first choice striker for, um, for Croatia. Marco Piazza got out there. Luka Modric, Ivan Perisic obviously had an influence, scored the goal. Badel and Kovacic were in the, uh, you know, in the holding midfield role. So still a strong Croatia side that this Portugal team, um, you know, had some superiority against. So, um, so this is going to very well prepare them. The thing that concerns me now is that, I mean, I think you see what Real Madrid are doing right now in La Liga without Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, they're learning that they have other options. We talked about this a little bit last week. You know, is this going to be a Portugal that will figure out how not to be Ronaldo dependent? And, I mean, they had 13 shots in this game. So clearly, they, clearly they figure, they're figuring out how to do this without him. Yeah, um, Andre, Andre Silva had like four shots himself, I think. Yeah. You know, and he's going to be a danger man. And he's going to certainly going to present some problems. Now, is he free scoring because things are a little bit looser in La Liga and a little bit easier for him? And is it now going to bet, you know, is he going to end up in the back pocket of Chiellini, you know, somewhat like Lewandowski was, even though Lewandowski had that assist? Um, you know, and then, you know, Bruma concerns me. He's a he's a pacey guy. He's a bit deceptive. Um you know, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets a, you know, he gets a run out um, in this game. And, you know, Joao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Mario Rui, players with Serie A experience. Now, will they start against Italy on Monday? Who knows? Um, but you've got some players here that understand the characteristics of the of the Italy players. So this will be a challenge. Um, and then it's also going to be uh, how does Mancini adjust? You know, he's already said that he doesn't he doesn't expect Benedeschi to play um, on Monday. He said he probably won't play. Uh, these are just some other uh, notes that I grabbed. Um, uh, Giacomo Bonaventura might be pushed into more of an advanced role and maybe starting. This is from uh, footballitalia.net, by the way, Richard, um, because we cite our sources. We don't we don't just steal ideas and pass them off as our own. That's right. Um, yeah. So. They're projecting a lineup of uh, Donnarumma uh, with Zappacosta, Bonucci, Romagnoli, in fact, instead of Chiellini, hmm. uh, and Crescito starting over uh, Biragi. I'd rather be after how Biragi played on Friday. If they can squeeze another start out of him, I'd rather he be out there. I, uh, I, I'd wish they got Crescito and Biragi out there instead of Zappacosta, but that's me. It's kind of hard to do. Um, but a midfield of Benassi, Jorginho, and Barella. Um, nice. nice. And a, an attack of Chiesa, Immobile, and Bonaventura. So I'd, I'd be I'd be for this lineup, um, you know, given the characteristics of what they bring and given the characteristics of Portugal, I think it could work. Um, let's see if Mancini's listening. Uh, so 
I got a little long-winded there, but I think that there are some things here. Portugal are starting to figure out how to do this without Ronaldo, and they're a little bit more spread out, which is going to make it a challenge. And then also going to Portugal is is, is a challenge in and of itself. How does this uh, Azuri under Mancini handle the pressures of playing away? So um, those are going to be the things that we need to take a look at. Now, all that digested, Richard, how is uh, Monday going to go? What should what do we say is a reasonable result for Italy uh, at Portugal? A reason, a reasonable result would probably be one-one in my opinion, because um, okay. I, I think I think Portugal are going to score. I, I like their wingers that they have; um, they can cause a lot of havoc in the box. And you know, Andre Silva's going to be chomping at the bit, trying to trying to impress the you know the Italians that he he left last year. So um, they're going to get their chances, but I think the Azuri are going to eventually get that possession like they did against Poland. It won't be as big of a, a gap as it was before because uh, Portugal have some very, very talented players. Not that Poland doesn't, but um, the, the players that they have are very familiar with the possession game, and they can, they can get the possession. It'll be a more even game. Um, so 1-1, I think probably be an early goal by Portugal, maybe another late goal by maybe Azuri or something, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be a blowout either way. No, no, I don't think so either. I, I'm, I'm going to go with you on that and say one-one as well. Um, I just, uh, I, I anticipate, uh, I anticipate it being a bit of a struggle. Uh, I think that Italy will, in this case, see the possession of Portugal, try to hit them on the break. I don't think they're going to try to get into a possession uh, fight, um, you know, with Fernando Santos's men. I think that they'll let them have the ball and try to see if they can hit them on the break, much like Poland tried to do uh, to Italy in the first game. So. That's our breakdown of the Azuri here in the opening weekend of the UEFA Nations League. Your thoughts? Go to at City I'll Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Richard and I are going to have a little fun with your teams now. All right, Richard. Uh, so um, this is a good time for us to play a game called First Impressions. So... It's it's really not a game. Um, I'm gonna you know I'm going to give you a team. You're going to give um, your first impressions of them. Um, so here's how we'll do this, Richard. I'll give you a team, and then you'll give me two teams. I'll give you two teams. You know until we get down to the last last team. Sound good? Sound good. Okay. Now start off by saying, are they overachieving? Um, about where they should be, or are they underachieving? And then just kind of give your take. Okay. Okay. And uh, I'm going to let you start at the top with Juventus. Juventus are where they should be. Um, they have uh, they're what they're supposed to be doing right now: winning games and winning ugly. Uh, Ronaldo's not scoring. Dybala's not scoring. Uh, they have a lot to be improved, but right now they're doing what they're what Juve does, and that's get points, get other, get three points. They get the results that they need. Uh, so uh, they're going to get better, but uh, they're they're where they should be. Yeah, I I am going to say where they should be. Um, as well, I think that you know, I just I agree with you. I think that um, they're on. Like I said, we we hammered this out last week. They're on nine points without um, Ronaldo and DiBala scoring. You know, and and maybe they expected a little bit more in that regard. But you know, they've they've played three. They've won three. You know, at Kievo, home against Lazio, at Parma, you would expect the perfect. You would pretty much expect the perfect start there. So they've gotten that and. Um, and and I think that you know, as we said last week, they're going to get better. So, all right, what do you got for me? All right, I'm going to go with the home team, AC Milan. You're going to go with AC Milan, okay? Um, wow. Uh, 
if you talk the table about where they should be, if you talk performances, I think they're overachieving a little bit. Um, I don't think that, uh, I, you know, at Napoli home against Roma, they could have, they could have six points. You know, the, they had a two nil lead at Napoli. They beat Roma. Um, you know, but this might end up being the norm with Milan, I think is the, uh, you know, is kind of where I'm getting at. Um, overachieving in the sense that I think that they outperform what might have even been expected of even the most ardent Milan supporter to have three points from these two games. You know, most would say, well, one point from these games, let's go beat up the little guys, you know, as, as this team gets better. And, you know, as Iguain gets more acclimated and go from there, but to come out of this two games that you could have six points, you have three, I, I think they're ahead of schedule here. Yeah, I can I, I can go with that. Uh, like I said, the performances have been overachieving. They 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 could nearly have six points from you know Napoli and Roma. So uh, yeah, certainly the table it's probably where they should be at. But um, performance wise, I like what I see, and it's uh, I'm looking forward to see how the next few games go. They're going to play a team that's going to be um, lower on the lower in the talent pool. I, I'm going to say with Cagliari. So I want to see how they react to that. You know, it's one thing to play up to teams, but you got to make sure you beat the teams you should be right. Indeed, indeed. There's, uh, um, you know, certainly not, uh, certainly not going to fight you on that. So, uh, all right, throw me another one. Let us go with, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that one to you. Let's do the Sampdoria. Sampdoria, huh? Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a hot take here, even with the win over Napoli, about where they should be. I mean, they're, they're that good at home. They've always, they have been under Jim Paolo. Uh, the Marassi's a fortress. So, and, you know, I made that prediction that Sampdoria was going to beat Napoli. They did. I made the prediction that they would lose at Udinese. They did because they have clunkers when they go away. Uh, so you're seeing the same thing, even though there are some, you know, some different names in the mix. You know, Quagliarella, obviously, with the goal of the season that I think is going to be hard to be topped. Um, and uh, I think under Giampaolo, it's a it's going to be another work in progress again. I think that they're going to have some results that they're going to look at, look back and say, my gosh, how did we lose that? How did this happen? How did that happen? But then on the other end, they're going to look at, um, you know, what they did here, uh, you know, against Napoli and say, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of anybody that that that, that comes to our place. So I'm I'm going to say Sampdoria are um, ahead of schedule right now. Maybe no, right where they should be, you know. They they had their clunker in their away match, and I think this is only because this is what we know with Sampdoria. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're dubbed the giant killers for a reason because they are that good at home. They can beat anybody, um, but it's just on the road is when their Jekyll and Hyde act comes out, and, and they, they lose games where they should be winning, and this is what we've expected from them or we've seen from them for the last couple of years, and they're continuing that trend as of this the first two games. Okay. Um, let's... Okay, your first impressions of Napoli. Napoli is, hmm, I'm going to say they they got what six points out of three. Um, I'm going to say that they are where they should be. Um, going to Sampdoria is never an easy thing. Uh, we've seen that last year. They they, they beat Juventus. Uh, they beat plenty of teams last year um, at home. So it's never an easy place to play. Um, a lot of people were saying gloom and doom with Napoli that they were gonna they're gonna blow up and this and that. But Napoli showed you they're still Napoli. They have the offensive talent. They can score when they want to. Yeah, they're not scoring at the at the same pace as they were last year, but they're still winning the games, right? 
Um, and Ancelotti's gonna, you will see when the cup games come, when, you know, Champions League and Coppa Italia, how the team really has changed under Ancelotti. Right now, they're, they're the same what we've always expected and they haven't lost a beat since they lost Jorginho and, and a couple others. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's where they should be and they're gonna get be- even better. So, um, they're gonna be in the, in the good at the race all season long, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think that I can go along with that. They gutted out some wins there over Lazio and Milan. And I think that, uh, it's an incomplete product under Ancelotti, even though he's finding the resources to get some wins against a couple of big teams. They had the, you know, they had the one off there at Sampdoria, but, um, you know, ha- have shown they're going to be every bit a uh, part of this conversation. So, um, you know, so I, you know, I think that, uh, an- another one that I think that we'll see regularly in the top four as the season goes on. So, um, let me get to one of your favorites, Empoli. Empoli, they they got four points out of the first three games. I'm going to say that they're actually overachieving right now. Um, they've done well so far in the first few games in Serie A. Um, they got a result, which we, we knew was going to happen last game and lose that. But uh, they've done very well so far. They've gotten a draw. They're going to win. Um, you can't complain about that. And Caputo, who's, who was the leading scorer in Serie B last year, he's already scored this year. So... Um, they're doing much better than what everyone, you know, everyone was pick, predicting them to be in a relegation battle this year. And right, as of right now, they're doing, they're ahead of schedule. Uh, they, they actually have some wins, unlike some other people in the league. So, uh, good for them ahead of schedule. Okay. And that's, uh, that's Empoli. So what's, uh, what do you got for me? Uh, since you said Empoli, I'm gonna go Spall. Spall. Um, I think they're on schedule. Uh, you know, because, uh, they, uh, they, they beat a 10 man Bologna at Bologna and, and we're finding out that Bologna have some issues here and have some things to work out. Um, you know, they beat, they beat promoted Parma at home and then they lost at Torino and they're doing this in a very rigid style. All three games ended one nil, whether they're on the right side or the wrong side of it. This is, this is what we get with Spall. Okay. And they've, they've beaten the teams that they probably should beat. They've lost to the team Torino that they should lose to. Yeah, that's uh, that's about right. I mean, I couldn't. You can't say anything anything different from them. It's it's uh, it's what we're expecting them to be. And um, yeah, I mean, it's surprising they had six points out of the first three games for sure. But um, you know, you expect them to get some wins. They're they're a veteran Serie A team now, you know. And so, if they have aspirations to stay up, they're going to have to get wins when they can. And and they've done it so far. So um, good for them. Uh, let's go. Second team for you. Let's, um, let's go back to the Genoa region and give you Genoa. Okay. Um, big problems there. Uh, and, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, unfortunately about where they are. Um, and yes, six goals from two, six goals conceded from two games is, Along the lines of what I expected, now that they no longer have Matita Perry, and I, this is not going to be sitting in the dentist chair playing Genoa anymore. Uh, Federico Marchetti is 35 years old. He is a shadow of himself as a goalkeeper, mm. and uh, I think that that's part of the problems. Granted, he—I mean—he doesn't have the reflexes to get up and get to the second ball. It was clearly, obviously, the the Boateng bicycle that he saved, but just not quick enough to get to it before Babacar can. Is a is a shining example of some of the problems now. Perrin, does he parry that ball to a different spot? Does he do something different technically? You know, I'm just, and, and maybe I'm, you know, 
picking on a, a singular example here too much. Um, but I think that that's part of the problem. I think that, um, you know, they look like they're, they look like they're a little unorganized too. And I think that Pettin at least had some sort of influence in how that defense was organized too. Uh, so now they're listening to a different voice back there and you can't underestimate what that does. Um, and, uh, you know, they conceded a goal late to Empoli. They won that game 2-1. I think that was an emotionally charged game for them after, you know, first home game after the, uh, the bridge disaster. And then, uh, you know, going on the road to Sassuolo, who have just this wonderful attack, um, you know, and they, uh, they, they put him to the sword in that game. And I, I think Genoa are going to – I don't think five goals a game is going to be the norm, but I certainly see them conceding a lot of goals this season. So, okay, so let's give you Torino. Torino. Ah, oh, that's uh, you had to give me Gallo Balotti's team, didn't you? Um, I did. Torino are about where they should be. Uh, they had some good good results. I mean, like that coming da- coming back from two nothing against Inter and scraping out a draw. In that one was excellent. Um, they had some losses that you're you kind of wish that they did better in, but they're where they're at. They're going to be at. Um, I think the right where they should be. Um, they're going to get better. Obviously, their attack is going to be what leads them around. Um, it's great that they have Nkulu and Kulu scoring even so. Um, and we've seen what um, Salvatore Sirigu is is capable of doing. He's so much so much of an improvement from Joe Hart that they had before a couple of years ago. Um, they're where they should be. Yeah, I, I, Belotti will get his goals. Iago Falke will get his goals. Um, so will Adam Lajic get his assist. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're, they're where they should be right now. Mm. All right. Um I can go along with that. I think that they played they played really well against Roma and Inter, and we're only we're unlucky to only come out, come out of those two games with a point. Beats Ball uh, in, in some really weird circumstances with those uh, pitch conditions. Um, another team that's near and dear to your heart, Kievo. <laughs> Kievo are where they should be um, <laughs> at the bottom. We, yeah, at the bottom. They're they're struggling mightily. They can't score goals. Um, obviously losing Roberto Inglese was a big loss for them. <laughs> but even Sergi Pellissier can't even save them right now. Um, they they are in a heap of trouble, and we've saw we've seen this writing on the wall for a long time. Uh, not just this season, but last season also, and even here years before. They've been they've been escaping relegation for too long now. They're this is where they should be, and maybe not at the bottom of the table, but in the relegation zone for sure. And uh, yeah, I hate to beat a dead horse, but the flying donkeys are no more. So. Mm, I, I'm with you on that. I think that they're they're an awful side. They're relying way too much on Emanuele Giacolini, Um and there's only so much that those little legs are going to be able to offer uh, going forward. And I just I see problems with them. They played bravely against Juventus, and then they got battered against Fiorentina. Saved some face with a draw in their third match against uh, Empoli, um, albeit a goalless one. But uh, you know, I think we're um, you know, Kievo sitting 20th right now, and they're going to be thereabouts for much of the season. All right, let's go to, uh, for you, let's go to Lazio. Underachieving. Um, and even with that 1-0 win over Frozen Noni, uh, you know, the thing that I'm starting to, there's a few things I'm getting concerned about here. Has Simone Inzaghi's side been found? Has his tactics and has the way he wants to do things that, that three five two, that five three two, whatever you want to call it, has it been found out a little bit? Um, you know, that's that that's one thing. You know, we've we picked on Milinkovic Savic here early on in the season. I went back and looked at the Frozen Only highlights, and he certainly played a better game there. But 
you're still concerned about his performances against better teams like Lazio, like Napoli and like like Juve. Um, Immobile with just the one goal so far uh, is a concern for me, um, where he was bagging them like they were going out of style. It looks like that they're starting to miss some things here. Um, you know, if yeah. Milinkovic Savic can adjust his attitude a little bit, if um, you know Luis Alberto can recapture some of that form that that made him so good that you know, I think he was our player of the season last year. Um, was a was was such a catalyst for what uh, um, what the Bianca Celesti were uh, last season. But right now they're underachieving, and that's be, you know you might say that's being harsh because they opened the season at home against Napoli and not Juve. But they went one 0 up on Napoli, and when Napoli equalized, Inzaghi never adjusted. There looked like there was no plan, um, you know. And then at Juve, well, you know everyone's going to lose at Juve or most teams are going to lose there. Uh, and then to only come away one nil winners against Frozenone, I would have expected them to just be pissed off and just come out and just absolutely batter them. Um, and they didn't, they only came away one, they only ran out one nil winners and they had their struggles in that game. So this is an underachieving bunch that might even, you know, at the rate they're going, unless things get cleaned up a little bit here, Richard Lazio could miss out on Europe. I'm starting to see Rosella's point. Yeah, um, I'm with you there on Lazio. It's uh, They did some great business by keeping Immobile, keeping Milinkovic Savic, keeping Luis Alberto this offseason. So you thought they would have started the season flying because of that, and they haven't. Uh, Milinkovic Savic, uh, like you said, it's all head games with him now. He, you know, he thought he was leaving, and he thinks he's better than he is. Or I don't know what's going on with him, and Lazio needs to figure it out quick because uh, they're, they're definitely underachieving at the moment. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. All right, your second team. Let's go to Sonia Missio's team, Udinese. Okay, Udinese. Um, I'm going to say they're ahead of schedule. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, and I think that they're going to trend upward. I mean, I think that what you've seen so far with Velasquez's side is a team that, I mean, they battled bravely after being 2-0 down at Parma and, and got that draw, and then they beat Sampdoria at home. And then uh, uh, lost at Fiorentina, which I think that one nil defeat isn't going to be horrible as this uh, as this goes on. Um, they're a lot better and they're a lot different from the team that just was in a free fall at the beginning part of 2018. Uh, Rodrigo De Paul is having some influence. Seiko Fofana is having some influence. So you're seeing some things from the younger players there. Uh, and, and, and I like the way they're playing. I like the way they're set up. They played a little bit more defensive here against Fiorentina. I don't know if that's going to be the norm with them going forward. Uh, I think their match against Torino on Sunday is going to be a particularly interesting one. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so I uh, like what I'm seeing from them and, uh, you know, overachieving, but uh, we may find this to be the norm as the season goes on. Very good, very good. So what are my next two? All right, let's give you... Sassuolo. <laughs> Sassuolo is certainly overachieving. Um, we did not expect them to have uh, the goal scoring that they did. Now the, the results, sure, that's uh, that's good. That's good stuff by them. We, you know, you can't. Uh, I mean, beating Inter, we didn't expect that, but you know, they are Milan killers, Inter and AC Milan. So, but the way they've played um, has been overachieving. They've been they they look good offensively to an extent. Kevin Prince Boateng is playing better than expected. Um, they're getting goals from Babacar and all that, so they're certainly overachieving. And I'm curious to see how they're going to do this season. Um, at this 
present moment, they look like they could be a top half team or in right there at the tenth spot. Um, it's not where I would have predicted to begin the season. So uh, certainly overachieving for me. I think the results certainly suggest that they're overachieving. But when you look at the numbers, eight goals scored, five goals against in those three games, this is the fun bad team I thought they would be. Yeah. Um, you know, so from a result standpoint, definitely overachieving. But as far as what we probably were going to expect from Roberto Deserbi's men, definitely what we're getting. So, um, all right, we'll take our crosstown rivals, Inter. Have at them. Inter, woo, man, they got four points from three games. They are underachieving. Um, this is a team everyone and their mother picked to be the prime contenders for Juventus. And as of right now, they are five points behind them. Um, yeah, we knew it was going to be a struggle with all the new players. How could it not be? Look what happened to their cross-town rivals last year. But we'd expected them to get results. Sure, the Sassuolo loss was a shock, but they haven't been looking as convinced. They look one- convincing in one game so far. Um and that's not good enough. The Inter needs to do a lot better with what who they have at their disposal. Finally, they got Nangolan on the score sheet. Um, they're, they're, and Icardi hasn't been on the pitch yet. So once he gets out there, I think that the ship will right itself. But, I mean, they're going to have to figure it out before he gets back um, because uh, they can't go any much further behind Juventus because Juventus don't seem like they're going to give up uh, or lose them any points uh, throughout the season. No, no, definitely. Definitely not, and I'm with you there. I mean, you can... They dropped two points against Torino after being 2-0 up, and they probably dropped three points. I mean, in, in that listless defeat at Sassuolo. So, um, you know, they've got four points on the board, but they should probably have another three to five, uh, you know, considering their start to the season or considering what their start should have been to the season. Well, speaking of, since you just mentioned Sassuolo, let's pick the team just below them in the table, Fiorentina. Fiorentina, okay. Um... Given, I mean, given the two games they had, they're where they are. Um, I think the, you know, while we, while we dropped our jaw over them scoring six on Kievo, uh, that might not, that might turn out in the long run and not be a really big deal. Um, Kievo might give up six to somebody else here down the road. Uh, you know, and then uh, the the one nil win against Udinese, which is kind of what you should expect after winning six one. They're not going to just going to go out throw their. They're not they're not a Barcelona that can just throw their shirt on the pitch and score six goals. Um, you know, or a Manchester City or somebody of that ilk. So to you know to to have the resources and deal with a new Udinese team that found some form and found some results and beat them one nil was was a good thing. The Kievo win might not be that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. I think they're where they are. Um, but I also think they're going to be the kind of team that is going to ruin somebody's season. This is the one team that could ruin a season like of, of, of someone's season like Lazio, for example. Um, I like what Pioli has done. This is the youngest team in the league when you consider age. Marco Bonassi's in terrific form for them. Uh, Cholito's scoring goals. Chiesa has been magnificent so far in the early stages of the season. Uh, and Cristiano Biraghi on the left-hand side. And these are you know, this just in, all of these guys are in their national team. Simeone actually scored for Argentina um, in their uh, friendly match against Guatemala over the weekend. So, oh, nice. Um, you know, so, and then you've got Nikola Milenkovic, the Serbian international. There are some very, very good pieces uh, in this Fiorentina team. And I think as this goes on, we're, we're, we're going to get less and less surprised by these guys. And uh, a, a European place is not out of the question for them this season. They missed out just... Uh, they missed out by one place last season. 
I'm warming up to the thought that they could be a Europa League team uh, when it's all said and done. No, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Fiorentina, they certainly looked the part. I mean, it, just the fact that they have the youngest team in the league, like you said, and they're performing, they're getting these kids to play. Um, they're going to be around for a while, uh, and it's, it's good to see where the, it's good to see where they're at right now. And it's curious to see once the big games arrive how they do in those games. So uh, I'm with you on this one. They're they're where they should be at the moment uh, through two games. Uh, so yeah, good, 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 good on them. Um, let us go for you. Over to Atalanta. Atalanta. Um, as far as table position, yes, they're they're where they should be. Um, as far as you know, when you consider the three games, I, I think they're underachieving a little bit. Um, you know, they should not be losing at home to Cagliari. I don't. I don't care how long. They could have played 240 minutes in Copenhagen three days prior. They still shouldn't be losing at home to Um That's a problem for me. Uh, the, the, the goals all of a sudden drying up concern me. Now, they played bravely at Roma with a changed side and went out and got a draw and got a result. We might find out that that might not be a big deal because <laughs> Roma might be easy to score on this season. Um, you know, And they opened up with a bang against Frozenone, which I think you had to see coming. Um, you know, so I'm going to just tilt them just ever so slightly to what they're doing on the pitch. I think they're underachieving, um, just because of that loss to Cagliari that sticks out like a sore thumb. This is a team that when you consider, if you can go to the Olympico and get a draw, you need to follow up with that with a win over Cagliari. You can't have hangover here if you expect to contend. And if you're trying to make, you know, the next step up and not Talanta's case, the next step up is trying to find a way to finish in the top four. Um, yeah. you know, cause they've reached the Europa league places here the last two seasons. So, uh, so for me, I'm just putting them as ever so slightly underachieving and it's largely thanks to that home loss to Cagliari. I can go with that. Uh, you know, they started out the, the year with a bang, like you said, but then, you know, going up three, one against Roma and then blowing that lead. That's, that's worrisome to me. Anytime you have a two goal lead and you blow it. And then to follow that up, like you said, with the hangover loss to Cagliari, um, Gasparini has to find a way to stop this because we saw what happened last year and they struggled and the reason they barely made it to the Europa League in the, f- in the first place is uh, because they had games like this where they couldn't figure out Europa League and Serie A at the same time so I'm with you on that one completely okay tell us about Roma <laughs> Roma overachieving no they are underachieving no doubt about it four points after three games um, they lost to Milan Milan's a good squad uh you know, you expect though Roma to win those kind of games, or at least you know, put a better fight in that. It it wasn't the fact that Milan won; it was just how they how they got beat um, in that one. And then, um, you know, giving up, going down three one to Atalanta in, early in that game, it's worrisome because they're giving up goals, like you said. You know, they're going to give up goals now, and and so you're just like, what the heck? At least they have the fight to get back into that game. Um, but, you know, the jury's still out on Atalanta now because we just talked about that. Um, so, yeah, they should be doing a lot better. They, they're a team that, you know, they have aspirations of being a Champions League team and maybe even challenging for the Scudetto, but so far this season, they haven't shown it. I worry but, I worry about them defensively. I still do. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Fazio Manolas, I mean, they're not that great. I mean, once, as soon as Rudiger left, you know, the, the problems are going to happen and, 
they lost Nyangalan, they lost continuity and Strutman in the middle there. Um, Emery Chan and and Cliver aren't getting the pitch time yet that they should be. They should be on the on, on the starting lineup every time. So I don't know. It's it's they're definitely underachieving. Yep, yep, agree with you there. Um, Frozenone. <laughs> Um, they're right where they should be. Uh, I, I, I thought they would struggle coming out of Serie B. It's hard when you're a promoted team to to do well in, in Serie A and you get welcomed to Serie A with a four nothing shellacking. Um, they've done they've done a little bit better in the next couple of games. They gave uh, Lazio all they could handle, um, losing in a respectable one nothing matter. But they're, they're lacking talent and and at least they have some kind of grit to keep the games close but um uh, we're not expecting they can't get any worse than they are it can't be cable right <laughs> uh but they're not going to get any better than than where they are right now you, you high hopes for them with all of the um veterans and players and certainly, players with steady experience that came in and uh certainly mark neil and myself both thought they would be the one team out of the three promoted sides that could survive um, but uh, they sit in 19th, and I think that they ever so slightly are trending upward. Uh, that 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 fight they put up against Lazio, uh, the draw at home against Bologna, they they took that they took that beating in the first game. But the the issue here, hosting Sampdoria, and then hosting Juve, and then at Roma, it doesn't get any easier for them. So they haven't scored yet this season, and. You know, the first goal may not come until they go to the Olympico and play at Roma. That's the concern for me. And it's a, the one thing that, you know, you bring in all these veteran players, they need to learn how to play together. And I think that that's some of the challenge that Frozenoni is facing at this point. We got three teams left. Do one, one, one. Uh, well, give me two and I'll give you the last one. All right. I will give you, uh, since I'm looking at them right now, let's give you Bologna. Massively underachieving. Um, did not expect this start for them. Um, yeah, we both had high hopes for them. Yep, did not expect this start for them whatsoever. They haven't even scored yet, and you've got players like you got people in Zaghi as manager, and you've got players like Falcinelli and Santander in place. And you know, I made the comment from what little I watched when they played against Inter. They've got a number of players out there that just don't look like they're on the same page when they have the ball either. Um, so there's some. There's some real work here for people in Zaghi to do to get this right. Now, they travel to Genoa next. They host Roma. There's a chance that, you know, some goals – well, first got to worry about scoring goals. But from a results standpoint, would not be out of the question if they got two points out of that. Um, you know, four would probably be the most they could expect with beating Genoa and drawing Roma. But uh, even at that – until they can get some semblance of attack, until they can get something going, uh, it's going to be hard to find where they're going to get these points. Yeah, uh, they're they're a struggler of a team, and uh, uh, you worry, you really worry about this team. And so we'll see as the um, the seasons go. But uh, yeah, uh, next team for you um, is Milan's next opponent, Cagliari. Okay. Well, Cagliari is overachieving, and because it's and it's simply because of that win at uh, at, 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 at Atalanta, um, you know, and then also uh, the two-two draw against Sassuolo, which they probably should have come away with a win. They gave up a 97th-minute penalty, um, you know, so they they could very 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 easily have six points in the bag, um, you know, so. They're ahead of schedule just because of those three points uh, against uh, Gasparini's men. 
Um, you know, the loss at Empoli made you think, well, there's some big problems with this team, you know, but there's some decent pieces there and playing, you know, teams going to Sardinia is always going to be hard. That's always a tough road trip. Um, Milan certainly have not enjoyed that trip over the years. Um, you know, so this one's going to be challenging for AC Milan, but in terms of Cagliari, they've, they've got some decent pieces in place. Nicola Barrera enjoys playing for them because he, he, he came through the youth system, played for them as a kid, and they made some decent moves, um, you know, in the transfer, in the transfer market. They, you know, Dario Serna brings them a lot of experience. Um, you know, Pavoletti's the permanent striker there. Uh, Ragnar Klavan didn't have a great go of it at Liverpool, but Cagliari is the exact exactly the kind of place where he can settle and a good young goalkeeper in Cranio. So a little bit ahead of schedule right now, but maybe as we go, we may not be surprised uh, that they're in the position that they're in. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious to see how they, this team turns out. Um, Cause at, like I said, that's an impressive performance against uh, Atalanta. Um, so, Hey, we'll see. They got some good, good young pieces in place and maybe uh, they can figure it out and actually, you know, save their season in the, in terms of not being in a relegation fight as they have in the last couple of years. Indeed. Indeed. We'll finish us up with Parma. Uh, Parma are where they should be. Uh, you know, they've, they struggled. Yes. So far, but I mean, they, they had a good fight against, against uh, Juventus. Gervinho uh, with the addition of Gervinho looks like they have uh, a, some, uh, some resemblance of, a, of an attack, you know, with him and Roberto Inglese and, um, yeah, you you worry about Sepe and goal, but I mean overall they're they're doing okay and they're the yes, they're towards the bottom. But um, I think they're going to be a little bit better as the season goes on than than we than most people predicted. But um, at the moment they're right where they should be. Um, you know it's going to be tough, like I said, for these promoted teams to to do well in Serie A. Uh, but once they once they get once they get acclimated to the league, uh, they start putting better performances as it generally happens. You know you start out slow and then you eventually start getting draws at least and maybe some wins here and there. But uh, Parma's going to be in that boat for sure. Yeah, I uh, I am with you there. I think that they'll have their struggles, but I think again, like you like you say, I think this is something that um, they'll continue to be in some fights. They played bravely against Juve. I mean, when you get players like Jovino and Inglese in your team, you're going to have a chance in some games too. So um, let's uh, let's see what they have uh, going forward. So those were our initial takes on all 20 teams and what we think uh, what we think of them at this point. Uh, anyone that we're wrong on, go to at City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, before we wrap this bad boy up, we're going to take a quick look at match day four. All right. Uh, Richard, when we come back from the break, we're going to have, uh, here's how it goes. It's going to open with Inter hosting Parma. You've got a big one there at the uh, San Paolo with Napoli and Fiorentina. Frosinone hosting Sampdoria, Roma, Chievo, Genoa, Bologna. Uh, Juve will host Sassuolo, uh, Udinese hosting Torino, Empoli will host Lazio, uh, we mentioned Milan will travel to Sardinia to take on Cagliari and finish the slate with a Monday night matchup between Spal and Atalanta. So, who gets your attention out of that group? Certainly Napoli, Fiorentina. Um, I'm curious to see what, how Fiorentina does against a strong, strong Napoli squad. Um, we, they've done very well in the first two games, but now they play a, a, one of the upper echelon teams. And this is what I was talking about before is how, how would they, how will they, f- they do? How will they fare against these teams? So that's a game I'm certainly going to be watching. Uh, battle for the top right now, Juventus and Sassuolo. Um, 
Sassuolo's done well, really well so far. Uh, how how will they do in a big big game on the road? Um, I'm curious to see how they do in that one. So those are the two ones I'm going to pay attention to at least. Yeah, um, I think that uh, uh, the, the Napoli Fiorentina game is interesting to me. Of course, um, the Udinese Torino game is going to be an interesting one. Uh, you know, at least from a neutral's perspective, I think yeah. that that's one that could open up and we could see some goals there. Um, you know, they both have capable. Both teams have capable players in their attack, and I think that that's one of those that's going to be, you know, pretty tightly contested and one where there's going to be multiple goals. Uh, so, uh, certainly going to be an interesting one there. Can Bologna finally score? This is a Genoa team that's struggling to, you know, st- struggling to keep people out, including that game ag- uh, against Sassuolo where they conceded five. Um, and Milan, can they continue their good game form? At a place like Cagliari, at a da- at a difficult place um, uh, to get a result, at least one that's underrated in terms of uh, you know how tough it is to get a result. So, um, regardless of what kind of te- shape Cagliari you're in as a team, so uh, those are going to be the ones that, that that jump out at me. So, uh, definitely going to be an interesting week. Can Inter continue the role now that they've gotten Nangalan back into the mix against Parma? Um, how do Parma handle? Uh, you know, coming close against Juventus. Uh, last time a team came close against Juventus, it was Kievo, and they got slaughtered in the, in the next game. And then um, the uh, Fiorentina away from home now, because let's not forget, their first two matches were at home at the Artemio Franchi. How are they as an away side, especially against a team like Carlo Ancelotti's Napoli? So uh, just those are some interesting storylines to look out, look forward to. And with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit-down. We'll get to talk next week about actual Serie A matches. Won't that be fun, Richard? Oh, yeah. I forgot about those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Nations League has uh, compelled us a little bit. So um, uh, shameless plug time, Richard. Have at it. Uh, Well, obviously, you can follow me at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. And other than that, um, I've been so busy in my personal life, so I'd say go ahead and follow us on YouTube as well at Sirius Sit Down, uh, or look for us on YouTube at Sirius Sit Down for our videos. Uh, New thing we're trying out, so yeah. You had a baby, big deal. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we get it, we get it. uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21, um, the Calcio consultant on worldfootballindex.com. I'm sorry I did not get a blog piece out like I promised. Um, I don't know when I'm going to get one out. It just Things are just getting away from me, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to put one up on there soon. If not, uh, I will have video again. You can see my ugly face uh, giving my five uh, fearless picks for match week four. I'll have that out uh, here in the middle of the week. Look for that on our YouTube channel over on youtube.com. Uh, of course, um, we are available. Uh, we have our own channel on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Uh, send comments there. Um, uh, send comments to at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Give us topics to talk about or uh, any questions that you have. Uh, we'd be happy to tackle on future podcasts. So, uh, you know, looking forward to Portugal and Italy on Monday. Uh, looking forward to getting back to talking about City A here. Uh, next week. Uh, For Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for joining us. And as always, tell your paisans about us. Ciao.